Okay, folks, we're in Lesson 9 today. Uh, We're going to continue on in our study of James. We're up to James Chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. And today's focus is really going to be on the whole issue of yielding to God. It's kind of continuing on out of Chapter 3 where we talked about wisdom from above. James is going to talk to us about yielding to God uh, in our lives. So the first thing he's going to deal with, though, as he talks about that whole issue of yielding to God, he's going to talk about our uncontrolled desires and the results of that. So let's look together. We're going to look at verses 1 to 3 and uh, see exactly what it is that James is trying to tell us today. So notice what he says, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Okay, so let's notice what he's talking about here. First of all, the source of conflict. I think I think everybody realizes that all of us, Come in conflict with someone. If we are, if you're a human being here, first of all, you're relational, so you're going to enter into relationships with people. Ultimately, there's going to be conflict, and so he's going to talk about what the source of the conflict is that happens in our lives. So the first thing we see here is that he wants his readers to consider the source of their conflict. So we're going to think about why it is that we conflict with people. What is the source of the conflicts? That happen in our lives, in our marriages, in the church, among friends, in the community, among nations. What is the source of that conflict? So here's what he says. The source of the conflict is our selfish desires for pleasure. The source of the conflict is our selfish desires for pleasure. It's Wanting it my way. It's wanting it for myself so I can enjoy it. You see that there, verse 1. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? And war in your members. So it's basically the source is is that it's, it's because of we want what we want. So if you think back to every conflict that maybe you've been involved in or seen, maybe in a church, it really doesn't come down to the issues It really comes down to what do people want. And if you want something bad enough, what James is saying, you're going to fight for it because you're going to want to satisfy yourself. So it's all talking about here that the source of conflict is self-satisfaction, self-satisfaction so that you can have what you want. And so you'll fight for it. Unfulfilled lust. Look here at verse 2. He says this. You lust and do not have. What is he saying here? Despite our ruthless efforts, your lustful desires are not fulfilled. Well, isn't it interesting? Despite what we do to try to fulfill the desires, the lustful desires. Now, normally we typically think of lust with regards to sexual sin. But it's more than that here. It's more of where you're wanting to bring satisfaction through whatever issue or or means possible for your life. And so you'll do whatever you can 
to achieve that satisfaction. But he said, in spite of our efforts, those lustful desires are not fulfilled. It's not fulfilling. We're not fulfilled at all by them. In fact, he goes one step further and he talks about our unanswered prayers. He talks about how our unanswered prayers are a result of this. Look at what he says there. Our desires are not fulfilled because we do not ask for their fulfillment. We don't go to God and say, God, hey, I need this for my life. Can you help me with this? Rather, we try to do it on our own. So we never ask. So you have not because you ask not. You don't ask God to fulfill those desires. And I think one of the reasons is is that when we talk to God about what it is that we're struggling with or what we want, we often realize that he's not going to give it to us because it may not be right for us, but we don't really care about that. That's what we want. But he's saying here, look, you, you don't even ask God for help. And when you do ask God, here's what he's saying. When we do ask, it's not answered because we're selfish. It's for our own purpose. It's for our own desires. And God doesn't fulfill that. God's not interested in satisfying your selfishness. God's not interested at all in doing that. And so we see there that it's our uncontrolled desires that is the source of conflict, and it results in many things. Remember, when we're not satisfied, and we also see that the issue is that we are not going to have our prayers answered, our prayers answered at all. He goes on and talks about worldliness. Look with me at verse 4 and 6. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let's talk about worldliness. Right with the whole issue of our selfishness is this whole issue of worldliness. Now, you might be saying immediately, well, wait a minute now, George. He's, he's addressing adulterers and adulteresses. That, that's not me. I'm not involved. I'm, I'm not doing that. Well, I think you need to understand something. Adultery has more than one connotation other than just sexual sin. In the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament, idolatry and adultery were considered the same thing. Because adultery is nothing more than not being faithful to your spouse. Idolatry is not being faithful to God. And so in a sense, James is lumping it all together here, and he's calling us, especially when you recognize that he's dealing with this whole issue of worldliness and being friends with the world, he's saying that we're not being faithful to God, so therefore we are adulterers. So here's what he's saying. He calls his readers adulterers because of their idolatry. Because of their idolatry. And again, that fits with just what we're talking about. If you're seeking yourself, if you're seeking what you want, and you're lusting after things, then it's not an issue of faithfulness to God and what God wants for your life. It's what you want. And so therefore, you've got idols set up in your life for what you want. Specifically for what you want. And so here's what he says. 
Idolatry is equated with adultery in the scripture. So again, I've already mentioned that point to you. Idolatry is equated with adultery in the scripture. It's all about unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness to God. So here's what he says. The issue is commitment to the world's values brings us in conflict with God. Commitment to the world's values brings us in conflict with God. Now this fits exactly with what we were talking about in verses 1 to 3. The reason why conflict happens among us is because we're striving after our own thing. We're, we're going to do whatever it takes to get what we want. And where does that attitude come from? Well, he's telling you. It's because you are embracing the values of this world because the values of this world is get for yourself what you can get because nobody else is going to get it for you. Nobody else is going to help you in this area. And you sure can't rely on God. That's what the world is telling you. But the problem is, is that brings us directly into conflict with God. It says that we become enmity towards God. That is, we are a major issue, a major source of conflict with God. We are an enemy of Him. That's sometimes we need to grasp that reality. And so he goes on and he tells us then that we need to remember what the Scripture says. So here's what he says. He calls his readers to remember what the Scripture says. You need to back up from your embracing of the values and reflect upon what God's Word says. What does it say there? Specifically, look at verse 5. He says, or do you not think that the Spirit says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? What's he talking about here? The Holy Spirit who indwells believers is jealous for our allegiance. You know, when you come to Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you make that commitment to follow Him and give Him your life, and you come to Him for salvation and the forgiveness of sins, a new life, at that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells you. God Himself lives within you. And what happens is, is that when we, we make a commitment to do our own thing and to seek after selfishness and to seek after what we want and we, we embrace the values of the world, we are ignoring him. We're being unfaithful to the one who lives within us. And that one who lives within us, the Holy Spirit, is jealous for our allegiance. He's jealous for our allegiance. But see, here's the thing. God still gives grace. He points out that God does give grace. And that's something that you and I need to embrace and, and be thankful for, that, that in the midst of this, God does give grace. Verse 5 says this. Verse, excuse me, verse 6 says this. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What's he talking about here? God fights against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know what? Out of that center of our wanting the selfishness is the whole issue of pride and what we want. But here's what James is saying. God resists that. He fights against that. He's not going to give you what you want. He's not going to allow you to have what you want because he knows that's detrimental to yourself. But here's what he does. If you humble yourself, if you recognize who you truly are before him, that you are nothing without Jesus Christ, he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace 
in the midst of all of the difficulties that you're going through, the struggles, the hardship, the pain. He gives grace. He gives grace. So then that needs to bring us to the place where we, James is going to explain to us what this humility looks like before God. We see that in verses 7 through 10. Let's look at that together. He says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. First thing he's telling them to do is submit. Here's what they're to do. The believer is to submit to God. Submit. That is, I'm got to put aside all that I want, my prideful desires, my lustful desires. I've got to put that all aside and say, Lord, it's what you want. It's your will, not my will. I must decrease, God. You must increase in my life. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to submit to your authority in my life, Jesus. It's not what I want. It's what you want. And that's really what he's talking about here, is you submitting. Now, that's a hard concept for us in America, because in America, we don't submit to anybody. We don't like submitting to anyone, because our whole, our whole society is based on the concept of rebellion against authority and so forth. And so that's ingrained in us from, from um, young that we don't submit to anyone. But what, here's the difference. If you're a believer here, he's actually telling you to submit. To submit, but you're to submit to God. We're also to do this. The believer must resist the devil which causes him to flee. You and I need to resist the enemy in our lives which then causes him to flee. Now, what do you mean resist? Well, several ways the enemy attacks us. Number one, he attacks us with temptation. Now, specifically, if your focus is on your desires, he's going to tempt you with your desires for the fulfillment of that, which he knows you're not going to be fulfilled in that area. He's going to, he's going to attack you with accusation. He's going to attack you and say, well, here, see what you did over here? You were trying to satisfy yourself, and that's not right, and you didn't, you're not a good Christian. He's also going to attack you with lies. He's going to come against you and lie to you about how these things are better for you rather than what God wants for you. He's going to lie to you. But the point is, as James is saying, you know, if you submit to God and you resist the enemy, especially in those three areas of attack, he'll flee from you. He'll get away from you. So then he tells us, verse 8, the believer can draw near to God with the knowledge that he will draw near. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. The believer can draw near to God with the knowledge that he will draw near. You know, one of the biggest struggles, one of the biggest lies that we, we wrestle with that the enemy throws at us is that God doesn't care for us, that, you know, that God doesn't want to be with us. But here James is saying, you know, resist the enemy. He'll flee from you. And then he's telling you, look, to be very clear here, in verse 8, he's saying, look here with me, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God's going to draw near to you if you draw near to him. 
You, you need to already understand it's going to be reciprocal. As you go towards God, He's going to come towards you. You don't have to wonder if He is. He's going to. But He tells us that we need to do something else. If I'm going to draw near to God, I'm going to be realizing, you know what, I'm not right. Things aren't right in my life. And so I'm going to need to to change some things. And I'm going to need to to address some things. And so this is what he goes on and he tells us here. He says, a believer must clean up his actions and purify his thinking. Clean up his actions. That's what he's talking about. Wash your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's he talking about? He's talking about cleanse your hands. He calls them sinners. That's because of our actions. We need to deal with the junk that we're doing in our life and stop it. We need to stop the sin. We need to purify our hearts. You double-minded. He's talking there about our thinking. Again, what, what are we going to be wrestling with? Well, uh, double-minded in what? What we want to do and what God wants. What the world says and what God wants. And it's, it's always that giant wrestling match that goes on. And it causes instability in our lives. If you remember what he said in chapter 1. So I need to get control of my thinking. I need to purify my hearts, my thinking. Clean up my thinking so it's focused back on God. So I need to purify myself. But then he also calls us to go one step further, and he's going to call us to be broken. Look at what he says there in verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What? The believer must allow himself to be broken of his pride. That's really difficult, isn't it? Because at the center of everything that we do is the whole issue of pride. In fact, we're so, we're so programmed to go against the grain of brokenness because it's like, well, you know, if I do this, if I give up this, if I humble myself, if I allow myself to be broken, then who's going to take care of me? Who's going to be concerned about me? Because nobody else is going to be concerned about me. It's got to be me. Or if it's not me, it's nobody else. And, and that's the thinking of our culture. That's the thinking of our society. But the reality is, that is not the thinking of the Scripture and what God wants for you. God wants you to come to a place of brokenness where you recognize and you realize in your heart, I can't do it without you. I'm making a mess of my life, Lord. Help me. Give me strength. Give me guidance against this. And so he calls us to brokenness, which then brings us to verse 10, where we're going to wrap up here today. He's going to talk finally about that whole issue of humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. What does he say there? Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Here's what I want you to see. The believer must humble themselves before God, who will give honor. Here's the thing, when I submit to him and I resist the lies and the temptation and the accusations of the enemy, when I come to that place of drawing near to him and I realize how great he is and how awesome he is, and I begin to deal with my actions because I realize my actions are not right, and I begin to deal with my thinking because I realize my thinking is not right, and I come to that place of brokenness, 
I'm going to be humble before him. I'm not going to be able to stand in front of him and act like, well, you know, Jesus, you need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. And I come to that place of humility before him. Then the very thing that I've been trying to get for myself, the thing that I've been conflicting for, the thing that I'm trying to find for the satisfaction of my soul that I cannot bring for myself, then God himself will bring fulfillment to that because God will what? He'll lift you up. He'll honor you. Isn't that interesting? When we try to do it ourselves, and we try to achieve it ourselves, we bring nothing but pain and misery in our lives, and we affect our relationship with God. But when I come to the place, and I submit to what He wants in my life, and I resist the enemy and his attacks, and I come to that place of brokenness, and I deal with my actions, and I draw near to Him, and I humble myself, He will lift us up. He will honor us. And that, my friends, listen to me, that, my friends, is far more satisfying than anything we could try to achieve for ourselves. It is far more satisfying than anything we can achieve for ourselves. Next week, we're going to look at the issues, a couple of bad attitudes that we can have, the issue of fault-finding, a critical spirit, and also that of a self-sufficient arrogance. He's going to talk about how we need to deal with those things. Again, that comes out of our pride, and we're going to see that next week when we look at Lesson 10. Let's close our time in prayer.